Right. Um, this evening or this lunchtime, depending on which side of the um, pond you live, then we're, we are recording um, a hoarding stuff or hoarding stuff podcast with Greg Chasson, who is an associate professor at Illinois Tech, who did a very interesting study using virtual reality, um, looking at how it can help people who hoard. We've got Sam Wayman, who is a PhD student at Birmingham University, who's looking into um, developing the same thing, um, inspired by Greg's research. And we have me, Heather Matwatso from Clouds End, and Dave Woods from, originally from Coventry uh, and residing in Edinburgh. So we're going to talk about, well, mainly it's going to be Greg and Sam talking about their research, their findings, and perhaps some um, hopeful possibilities for the future from from, um, Sam's PhD studies. Uh, And there will be interjections, no doubt, from Dave. Of course. We're looking for solutions here. No pressure, no stress or anything, but we are looking for solutions (laughs) from these two fine gentlemen. No problem. We'll, we'll knock that out in, in 20 minutes. That's okay. Yeah, well, then, yeah easy done. And then there'll, there'll be no need to do any more hoarding podcasts because it will be resolved. <laughs> we'll have solved it, yeah. It's okay. That's cool. It's yeah. good with me. Greg, can you explain yeah. a little bit about your project, first of all, please? Um, sure. I'd be happy to. I have been involved in hoarding work. Uh, stemming from my actual research in obsessive compulsive disorder, as well as autism spectrum, Sam. Uh, So that's an area that I've done some work. Uh, It's been quite some time now. And hoarding is an area that is, in my mind, quite underserved and understudied. And so I found it to be, in some ways, an an open playground uh, to do a whole bunch of cool things. uh, One of which has been this VR study, uh, which I'm very proud of and excited about. it really connects to a program of research connected to hoarding that revolves around motivation. Um, I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that knows uh, somebody with hoarding or clutter difficulties uh, or is you know, experiencing that themselves, that ambivalence uh, is a very common characteristic. And it, I think, has been the biggest obstacle to helping people. Um, now, what really contributes to that lack of motivation or ambivalence is still sort of questionable. Mm -hmm. Uh, There obviously are a lot of individuals with hoarding tendencies who don't believe that they have hoarding tendencies or don't believe it's an issue. Uh, I would say that that's a sizable segment of the population. But then there are a lot of individuals who uh, sort of have awareness but are ambivalent for a host of reasons. And that's really something that I've been interested in. Uh, the insight piece is is challenging, but really I'm interested in the people who have the insight, but what's really the hiccup there? What's stopping mm. them? When you say there's, there's quite a large amount of people that uh, don't want to address the issue, how mm. big an amount would you say percentage-wise, if you can, uh, would you I mean, say it is? Yeah. It depends on the studies that you look at and right. the methodology, but I mean, we're talking uh, upwards of at least half of people who don't. Wow. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, and it's even more tricky because people who don't rec- recognize they have a problem won't come forward for help anyway. Mm-hmm. So I 
that's at least my understanding is that there's, pro- there's probably far, far more people who hoard than we currently understand because yeah. they don't ever come forward. Yeah. They, and they don't initiate treatment uh, that, or they initiate treatment and then drop out or the uh, more subtle, but equally problematic issue is that they engage in treatment, but not really. Um, they attend, they sort of put forth the display of, 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 you know, the facade of effort, um, but not necessarily in a sort of uh, evil way, but they just have a hard time actually doing what they're supposed to do in treatment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. me. I think I, yeah. I fit into that. And it is evil. I do it out of evil intent. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, don't, I think it's just a natural thing. I think we all do would do something like that on occasion. We're not always yeah. 100% engaged. But the research shows that that's highly, that the lack of completing uh, assignments and exercises mm. is highly correlated with uh, outcomes and not in the good direction. Mm. Uh, meaning those people who have been shown not to engage in homework completion during cognitive behavior therapy for hoarding, strongly correlated with uh, poor treatment response. Mm. And that's just among people who are actually engaged, quote unquote, engaged uh, in treatment. And I, you know, I use that term loosely because clearly they're not that engaged. So to me, treatment motivation is, is sort of the, uh, the low or is the target for treatment. And, uh, and I've been trying to think of innovative ways of moving people forward. Uh, and this started with uh, trying to engage families. I have a protocol called family as motivators training uh, fam, which I pilot tested and published in 2014. And it's a set of, uh, four modules to uh, help family members who may want to be involved uh, to uh, how do you engage your loved one or nudge them towards treatment. So it involves some psychoeducation, it involves some harm reduction uh, approaches, it involves uh, family accommodation prevention, and it involves um, some very brief uh, motivational interviewing training or uh, sort of active communication, active listening skills. So I feel this is a good time for you to plug your material. Yeah. Is it available anywhere for people to look at it? Yeah, uh, for a, a small fee of 55,000 uh, euros. Um, it, no, it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm freely uh, sending this to whoever wants it. So you just shoot me an email um, and I'm sure that will be available uh, for you. To, you well, do you want to do you want to tell us what your your email is so that people? Yeah, can sure. Uh, G Chasson, my last name, G C H A S O N at gmail dot com. And I will shoot you the the manual. It's over 100 pages. It's a good read. Yes, I have it. You sent it to me. Thanks. Very engaging. It's like a Tom Clancy novel. It's very. Very engaging. Uh, with a happy ending if you engage with it as well. Yeah, exactly. Quite the happy I, ending. I presume yeah. it's a three-act piece with lots of conflict and pace. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, it's, yeah. Uh, it's a sort of straight monomyth formula uh, with, you know, Beowulf type thing. Um, Brilliant. No, it's, uh, Brilliant. No, it's, it really is just meant to train trainers. Not It's not, you know, it's meant to sort of tell people how to approach this and you know, the evidence is thin, but positive. And mm. I haven't had a chance to uh, push forward this protocol. I guess I'm a little bit uh, excited about moving on to the next project. And so I, I sort of stop there and hope someone takes the reins. Uh, so there's a the FAM training, but I, uh, 
have disseminated that manual around and I did do a waitlist trial on it and have uh, just haven't had a chance to publish those data yet. Um, yeah. I, was, a, I was thinking within the Birmingham project, we might be able yeah. to, it wouldn't be a big trial, but we could perhaps trial that. Cause I, I know that I still get so many phone calls from um, family members asking for advice. And yeah. so perhaps we can put that, uh, it, there's still sort of a year and a half left of the project. So um, yeah, we could have a look at that as a as a sort of as a as a little side project as well. That's you know that process is what inspired me to begin with. Is that I was getting mm. calls left and right mm. uh, from family members. Help me, help me, help me. And yeah. my first question would be, well, does the person want to engage or want help? Yeah. Answer invariably was hell no. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, I wouldn't be phoning you if they were. <laughs> and right. And so I was really getting sick of of telling them like, look, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. And so I sat down with my grad students. I was like, how can we help these people where their family member doesn't even want to like admit? Gage, you know, yeah, yeah. Gage. Mm-hmm. And so we developed these, these tools for family members. And it's regardless of the individual with hoarding actually wants to engage. So I think people have been happy about it, but then I've actually received tons of, uh, I would hate mail uh, and vitriol That's, from, from, <laughs> from family members who are saying who are saying we'd rather be treated uh we'd rather you validate the fact that this is a trauma for us and that we aren't responsible for helping our loved ones with hoarding so there are pockets of individuals who do not appreciate this work um i see where they're coming from i don't appreciate their approach to attacking me um but it is uh it is fair that if you don't want to engage your loved one then by no means by like i'm not requiring you to do it feel free to just uh take it or leave it right but then um, if they're not engaging the person that's involved in it, yeah. they're obviously making arbitrary decisions about what happens. And that, to me, is is wrong. <laughs> yeah? It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's like taking somebody's choice away from them. I mean, honestly, yeah. my dad had a saying that is very famous and popular that I don't think is appropriate for a podcast, but he said everyone's got opinions. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> opinions are like this, and everyone's yeah. not, right? And I, you can't please everyone. So I've yeah. I sort of learned that in my professional capacity. Um, but this uh, sort of moved on, my motivation interest, um, to stigma. Uh, stigma mm-hmm. then became a theme where I realized not much has been done in the world of stigma and what had been done. Uh, to me was a little bit um, underdeveloped. Um, And so we did some surveying of the public to get a sense of public stigma of hoarding. And boy, it it is extremely stigmatized, Mm. uh, at least in the United States. Um, No, it's uh, the same. It's the same here, Greg. And it's been, I would say, fueled hugely by the media as well. I I think there's a a hierarchy of stigma as well. Um, In that, uh, well... We have a thing here in the UK called See Me, uh, the See Me campaign, which is about mental health generally. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, see me, not my mental health problems, oh. right? And yeah. then there'll be um, different levels of mental health. Some are more acceptable than others. Yeah. So uh, I think at the moment, luckily, PTSD yeah. is something they're looking into more and more. Yeah. But hoarding, yeah, yeah. Would be put like um, smoking or drinking. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. a lifestyle choice. Um, <laughs> you know? it, 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 it's that level of um, 
I'm going to use the word ignorance because it, it yeah. seems appropriate. I mean, in doing my in doing my work on stigma, you're describing a very common pattern, which is differential stigma across different types of conditions. Yeah, yeah. Really, it comes down to there's a, a model of this called the mixed blessings model, which I think is actually fairly a uh, nice way of 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 accounting for this, where some conditions have been sort of framed publicly as a biogenic or biomedical issue, like mm-hmm. and schizophrenia. And what happens with those types of conditions is that is that people are labeled as alien or different. Like that person is not like me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And but really the blame and the disdain uh, are minimal because they're just not human. Right. Like you can't you don't want to you, you almost feel right. So the blame and dis- disdain go down. But the. The, this idea of difference or alienness goes up, which is very mm. stigmatizing in and of itself. That, that's the problem when people uh, who are making the decisions are neurotypical. True. Because Absolutely. they go, this is the baseline. I mm. am normal. normal. <laughs> Whatever that is. I don't think I've ever met a normal person. I don't right. think I'd even talk to them if I met a normal right. person. I wouldn't like them. Right. You know, but, well, then um, you have the other you have the other side, which is that if people think that this is a lifestyle, mm-hmm. uh, sort of a moral or decisional model, uh, like substance use or criminal behavior, or uh, in this case hoarding, mm-hmm. that people are blamed. The blame is through the roof, and so yeah. is this, and so is disdain. Like you, this is a personal choice, and alien the alien or the uh, sort of difference scores don't are, are ne- aren't necessarily high. In other words, this person's human; they're just really making terrible decisions. Right. And so there's that's why it's a mixed blessing. Which stigma would you like? Either way, you're screwed. Right. Um, And so I've been studying this. And from what I can tell, hoarding is as stigmatized on some facets as as schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, And uh, it is uh, this hoarding. And what I found preliminarily is that among people who endorsed high levels of hoarding symptoms in a public sample, this obstructs treatment motivation. And we don't know why, but my guess would be because it's shameful. People don't want the label, um, things like that. Um, well, I think I think the shame angle is really fascinating because in our support groups, so people who come to support groups are the ones that have insight because they want they've you know voluntarily sought help. So, um, but they all all have incredible shame. And a different, you know, a d- absolute different. And so I've really, really racked my brains to try and come up with a Mother Nature's reason for um, this incredible shame. And I, mm. and I, I still can't properly get my head. I mean, what did you, what did you sort of decide about this? Because it's to shame is debilitating sometimes. So the the way that I handled it was to study it more because um, I agree with you. It's really hard to quantify yeah. or to characterize because it feels like it's a, an animal in, in and of itself, and I or uh, almost just inherently part of the condition, like you know. And um, so I actually have a grad student currently uh, who is doing qualitative research on this, has interviewed about seventeen individuals, uh, adults with hoarding, and is pointedly asking very specific questions about. Uh, stigma, stereotypes, discrimination, and then uh, also connecting that with their treatment motivation and desires for treatment. And so I don't have the results of that. Uh, I will be presenting a couple of slides on it during the upcoming International OCD Foundation um, conference in Denver. But by and large, the results are still being worked out. And I would 
dare provide them I, without, without I, my student giving me permission. But I, um, I may have sent off for um, some books, Heather. I okay. may have done that. And one of the books is called The Shame Machine. Oh, right. And okay. it, it talks about who has an investment in making people feel ashamed because there is a kind of like a, an agenda there that people use shame and guilt to control uh, other people. Well, I mean, it's it's been in society for a long, long time, hasn't it? Because it's used yeah. in a class system, it's used in religion, it's used in all sorts of things. And now social media use it. Mm. Well, now that, now that I've shown that I, I know what's in that book, I can go and cancel it now, can't I? Because I know what's in it, so... I don't need it now. Great. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. You don't, I'm, more, you don't want more clutter. You know what I'm, I mean? <laughs> I'm wondering, though, at this moment in time, Sam's been very quiet. He's just been sitting there. I'm wondering, how much stuff, Sam, have you stolen from Greg <laughs> from his project? How much have you taken? Come on, fess up now. Oh, he's frozen now. You've frozen him. <laughs> he's frozen because of the question or because of the... Uh, the... No, I... <laughs> it's a question. Wait, I, my internet connection's really bad. I don't know if you can hear me or not. We can hear yeah, you. Yeah, we're we're moving you. very statically. So. Oh, nice. Can you repeat the question? Sorry. Yes, I can. How much stuff for your work? Oh, sorry, I won't say stolen. How much have you been inspired by Greg for your work? And what have you nicked? Sorry. So. Used. I nicked the... Yeah, I've I used some of the principles from Greg's work with virtual reality when I was doing my master's study. Um, Greg's work looked at treatment motivation and treatment acceptability in virtual reality. Um, his virtual reality experiment with people who hoard, and I did a similar thing and asked people and measured the similar things, but using interviews to get depth of what aspects of the intervention and then linked that with the cognitive behavioral model of hoarding um, and to try and collate why aspects of the treatment were acceptable and did motivate further treatment and yeah, linking those things all together. Um, so, yeah. so I'm the dumb guy dumb guy in the room what is the collins thingy jig you just mentioned there the collins scale collins oh, oh the cognitive behavioral model all right that's um that's before hoarding was recognized as its own disorder uh, right. a couple of uh, researchers got together and basically wrote down what they considered to be hoarding disorder um and the four factors that underlie hoarding disorder, um, which are a collection of thoughts and behaviours. Um, and, yeah, is the kind of, yeah, re- result in, in hoarding disorder. Mm. It, might be, it might be helpful to get a little context around the study that I did, and then I'd love to hear a little bit more yeah. about the same study, because um, I, I haven't actually seen it. Um, I had heard through the grapevine, uh, Sam, that you had done some work in virtual reality um, via uh, Heather's, uh, one of her uh, uh, colleagues, but I uh, I was kind of eager to hear more. So basically what we did is, I, well, my thought was, well, what, what would happen if we were to show individuals with hoarding what their place would look like without the clutter? Um, 
And so what we did, uh, I thought, well, first of all, there could be two directions here. One, they absolutely despise every moment of that, where they hate it. They are demoralized. They're thinking, my God, uh, my place will never look like this. I'm not even close to this. This is God awful, right? Which would then be a motivation killer. Or it could go the other direction, perhaps, where they're like, you know, they're, they're inspired. They're thinking, wow, this is really neat that, you know, maybe tap into their perfectionism a little bit. And, uh, and um, I was thinking, let's find out. So we did this on the cheap, like super cheap. Uh, we used uh, Samsung phones. We used uh, Google Planner 5D. And we uh, paid a license uh, to gain access to a library of things to decorate uh, a floor plan. That was, that, was that Unity by any chance? No, nope, way, way easier. This is oh. a, an app you get on uh, the Apple Store or uh, on Android. Android, yeah. Android Store. And uh, it's cheap. Uh, the, the app is free. And then access to the library is very cheap for a What's year. It called? Planner 5D. And you, uh, it's an interior design uh, software, and you basically design. We designed. Eight, we had individuals come in, do the full battery of uh, you know interviews and things like that. But part of it was to sit down with my research assistants and to have them describe a level of their home, mm. and down to the floor plan, the decorations, you name it, but without the clutter. Like what would you know? What are the basic bare bones of the the space? So the- Size of the room, that kind of thing. All of them. Um, yeah. Where the doors are, blah, blah, blah. Where the doors are, windows, what kind yeah. of posters were on the wall, yeah. couches, yeah. TVs, you name it. Um, and then we had this floor plan and design created in 5D, which took about, Planner 5D, which took, you know, about 20 minutes for the, mm. the RNs to do. And uh, during that time, they just, you know, the, the individuals with hoarding completed more measures because we like to uh, terrorize people when they come in. Um, and then... Um, they uh, they were immersed in a version of what their house would look like. There's a little button on Planner 5D that converts this uh, floor plan with all the goodies you put into it into a 3D rendering. All right. So you can do and a walkthrough, yeah? It's not by any means a sophisticated 3D rendering. Uh, you know, the frame rate is, is pathetic. The, uh, you know, the graphics are not amazing. But in a sense... They were walking. We had them navigate through a version of their own well, space. You're not working them. on a Hollywood budget, right? So you know, yeah. Uh, it, it, I know that this is one of the problems with VR. Uh, yeah. To get really good VR, is it? it it's expensive. It can. Uh, I mean, you fun. know, uh, this. I've got this headset. Yeah, the yeah. Oculus. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what it is now. It's not the Rift. It's the other one. Um, I don't remember uh, the name of it, but yes, the Oculus. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and that cost about 300 quid, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, two years ago, it was 50,000, so it's better. Yeah, oh, wow, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but but it's, uh, it's still expensive, and so I wanted to yeah. do this on cheap. How can we actually do yeah. this in a way that uh, could be disseminated uh, more easily? And we know that people with hoarding often aren't super financially uh well, savvy, they're not savvy either, I don't think, necessarily, because we're you're buying savvy. stuff, you know. Yeah, we're tech savvy, so they have to be yeah. relatively straightforward. But, man, if we could show a little bit of inspiration uh, from mm. something like this. So that's what we did. We then tested their treatment motivation uh, just through self-report, and we found that, again, we were concerned. Are they going to hate this or are they going to love this? And mm. we immersed them for five minutes and five minutes, no, ten minutes and ten minutes only, and one time and one time only, and 
you know, a pretty low dose. And, and, and what we found was very promising. People endorsed that they not only found it acceptable and liked it, but that they seemed to endorse some increases in motivation. Did you uh, do it incrementally, removing this? Was it possible to do that with the basics that you had? So remove no. items at a time? Because I often wondered if that would be an interesting yep, that's exercise. The next, that's one of the, the next research uh, questions I have is, right. could we sort of have these items removed I would love to have them have some agency in that, like using yeah. arms to, because there's been some research showing that virtual discarding exercises can be useful for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I would love to actually scan their own items into a yes. Yeah. Um, I think we've spoken before about augmented um, yeah. reality. So you're projecting the items onto a, a real space. That would be neat as right. well. Uh, uh, but again, it's a bit more complicated than it is. Than all that. I mean, and to get know. into augmented reality, you know, if we were to do that in someone's own space, it gets a little tricky. Most people with hoarding don't want you in their space. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, you'd, one, have to, you'd have to use a warehouse, wouldn't yeah. you? And, and yeah. sort of import items and, and do it on plain walls. Well, so what year did you did you do the study? Was it 2018, 19, was it? Yeah, I don't, I mean, everything's a blur because of COVID, but it was, uh, it was, you know, it was. It was very <laughs> fresh when I spoke to you, which was early COVID. Yeah. It was, yeah. I'm just asking, because this is really interesting. There's, there's a lot of theories that say, you know, people have an idea and it goes around the world um, and other people have it. And that's why people say they've stolen, you know, it was 2019 for me. I watched a TV program in, in the UK, which was an interior design program. Mm, yeah. And they just took two, two architects and somebody that wanted to have their house changed, an extension or something. And then these two architects had to design it. Mm. And then they pitched for the business. You know, that was the program. But they used VR. So I watched it. And then I just saw all these items leaving a kitchen mm-hmm. and then the new stuff came in and I just went oh my god that has got to work that has just got to work for some people so it's just interesting that you had the capacity to do it I just thought all right so then I contacted a tv program and said yeah. I want to, <laughs> to do this yeah. and we went all the way through to going and I'd never used VR at all then I just went and had a play and um, and then it never got made because COVID happened and everything collapsed and all television programme, you know, um, doing stopped for about eight months. And by that time, things get cold and they don't do it. Do but, you know why I'm not using my VR headset? Why? Because the last person who helped me with my hoarding has put them somewhere. And I don't know where. <laughs> I've got the headset. I just haven't got the controllers or the charger now. Never mind, you'll find it. It'll uh, it'll take years. We'll have robots before I find it. We'll have implants. The robots can find it. The the robots will be able to find it. Don't worry. It'll it'll be projected onto our eyes by the time I find it. Or you can do the anti treatment thing and just buy new ones. (laughs) Uh, Well, I was close (laughs) because um, Heather will tell you I got a 3D camera Mm. uh, years ago. And that's gone as well. I have no idea where it is. And the idea was to put it in and show the rooms that we have, you know, as a, an example. Uh, but we were, we were going to do, I, I wanted to get a sort of information bus where yeah. people could come and experience hoarded rooms mm-hmm. as close as you possibly can without visiting a house. 
and we thought it might be a good idea to 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 use a 3D camera and a, and a, a headset. headset. To do yeah. Although you did hear Greg say, "Get a new one," didn't you? And he's just given me permission to buy another 3D camera. And you'll play this. You'll play this podcast back to you over and over again. Over and over. I mean, it's a hundred pounds for the camera, so it's not so bad, right? So, and then I'll find it, won't I? I'll find it on you its, will. On it. will. How can you miss something like that? It's on the tripod and everything. I did qualify it with an anti-treatment statement, just so you know. Ah, yeah, well, (laughs) I didn't hear that bit, plus the fact that I can edit the podcast. (laughs) That's just cheating, Dave. You can just extract that permission and play it to yourself. I can can put it on Twitter and say, this is what Greg Chasson said to me. (laughs) That would start another firestorm. I love it. All right. (laughs) I have a question for you, Greg. In the paper, it says that you used the structural the structured interview for hoarding disorder was that just eligibility as in letting people into the study or did you use any of those measures in analysis um no it was uh it was a pretty small sample so we had to be careful what we included in the analysis but it was uh, basically to establish a diagnosis and a certain level of severity um you know we didn't want to test this on uh undergrad students who had you know, maybe some difficulty saving and discarding, but their otherwise their dorm room was pretty pristine. Mm. Uh, we wanted this to be uh, a sample of individuals who really have uh, sort of clinically relevant hoarding symptoms. Can you tell me a little bit about your study, Stan? Oh well, I yeah, no, that's really interesting. I saw that in your I, uh, when I was reading your paper. That was one of the things I noticed. I was like, oh, I wonder how that links in. Um, so mine was very similar. I actually I don't know if you remember, but um. When I was planning my uh, research, I actually emailed you and asked, what headset did you use? What, what, um, even down to the Bluetooth controller, which was all very, very helpful because I was yep. a bit stuck and very good that you had done it on the cheap because that meant it fit into the very small budget I had for my <laughs> master's research. Right. Um, so yeah. And because I did mine, uh, started, yeah, in 21. Well, yeah, I actually did the data collection in 2021 and a bit in 22. The university's rules around um, seeing participants were quite strict. I bet. So we had to post the headset, um, which is one of the other key differences. Um, but yeah, and other, other than that, it was quite the same. Um, I created the virtual environments because I'd asked the participants to send pictures of their home. Both so they? I could they did indeed. Um, that's not always that's not always easy for them to that's not something that they always do. No, no. It was that was yeah, that was good. Um so they sent pictures of their home. I was only able to recreate one room um uh-huh. yeah. of their home. Um and yeah, and did the same thing, recreated that one room without the clutter, and then organized a Zoom call with them to talk about their experiences. Um uh-huh. I would have much rather been able to say here's the headset, give it a go for 10 minutes, and then we can have the, the interview afterwards. Um, but that wasn't possible. Um, so yeah, did the, did the interviews, which semi-structured interviews, and then, yeah, and then analyzed the results using, um, mm-hmm. for those who aren't psychologists, interpretive phenomenological analysis, which basically just means I recognize my own potential biases as the researcher while I research, while I read the mm-hmm. um, results. Um, so yeah, that was what I did, um, which was great, and found 
Um, the participants, again, really found it a valuable experience mm-hmm. and particularly based on like the four key themes that came out were the quality of the virtual reality was much higher than expected, which again was very surprising given we had done it on the cheap. Um, I did look into, I did get in touch with some of the other um, people who use virtual reality at the University of Birmingham, but it wasn't possible to get them involved. Um, and it contributed to things like level of presence, which is the feeling of being in that environment. Mm-hmm. And they generally reported they were comfortable in the experience. They said they were able to envisage goals for their house better as well. Um, they often, they would, when talking about the experience, they would then go on a tangent about plans for that room, which I think is incredibly interesting. It's very Clearly. positive, isn't it? Exactly. If, if, if you've got plans. Yeah. And then they talked about their emotional responses to VR, which were broadly positive. They often felt calm and relaxed in that space, which is quite common a lot across um, virtual reality interventions in psychology. Mm. Lots of people who use virtual reality as an intervention, for example, in chronic pain, it's actually mainly used for its calming effects. In in chronic pain research, they just, uh, the virtual environment is just, say, a nice calm riverbank with a gentle stream kind of going through and mm-hmm. that actually can has been shown to help people with their chronic pain and so a similar thing was found mm-hmm. when i interviewed them that they kind of just said they felt really calm and peaceful which mm-hmm. is one one of the participants said that was how they think they would feel if they if they were in the space yeah. yeah but they're not but they're not sure because every time they go to discard something all that anxiety and worry right. comes straight back up yeah. and there was a little bit of a mention of negative emotions that came up, particularly around trauma. Um, yeah, one participant in particular spoke about kind of trauma um, and how that linked to the room that I had recreated and virtually cleared. But um, yeah, reflected on that positively, kind of. Oh. In interest, I think I'm not sure that would be the case with e- everyone. I think I would. I would be interested to to do that more and understand whether it brought up other memories for people but all those things very nicely fitted into other bits of psychology research that had gone before into hoarding around trauma and motivation being able to envisage goals um Mm. that kind of thing so yeah that was on a different level though it's fascinating because it's not just a therapeutic tool it's also an educational tool for the people that are making decisions about what happens to the property of people who are hoarders, you know, the, the, the people that are in power who will come in and go, yeah, you can't have that. No, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a fire hazard. That is, look at that. No, that's got to go. And, and it gives them more of an idea, I think, of, of what the, the thing is like rather than perhaps just judging from a position of outsideness. Um, as well, I think, I think another good thing is if people hear people who've sort of gone through the studies saying <laughs> things about it made them feel calm, it get, even when they talk about perhaps some of the empty rooms are triggering and they will still want to try it, I think, mm. you know, because you've got... You're not you're, the, the one. The people that that you use, Sam, were the the original guinea pigs here, and and they've sort of gone ahead and pioneered a bit of, you know, um, examples for, for for people that will then 
come along afterwards. And I think that's what, certainly that's what I try to use quite often if I can, is examples of people who, that I always say to people when they've gone through it, not, not experience, like um, experiences, and they've come out the other side. I always say, if somebody was where you were a year ago, what would you say to them? And because that's what I want. That's the message that I want. I can tell people till I go blue in the face, but I'm third party, you know? So mm. I think the fact that you've got that is really reassuring for the next sort of um, group that hopefully we we can um, inspire and and to add on to that, I mean, what, it is a rare thing to have a study of hoarding where you're intervening in some capacity and the people actually are not uh, upset, uh, angry, um, disgruntled, uh, aggressive. And I'm not saying everyone with hoarding is that, but when you push anyone's buttons, um, it's, it's going to have a reaction. They're going right. to push back. And hoarding is pretty easy to push people's buttons. Oh, and no, absolutely. You, and if if I got feedback and Sam got feedback that this didn't really seem to push people's buttons, and in fact, actually, the, potentially does the opposite. In this population, mm-hmm. uh, in a situation where we are directly challenging their environment, like this, there's stuff is gone in the virtual environment, mm-hmm. right? That to me is really encouraging. How do you feel about the use of gamification? I, I'm a. I would be open to that. In fact, I've done. Uh, I did one study where I tried to uh, uh, essentially establish hoarding tendencies in the game Age of Empires. This was like ten years right, ago, right? Um, and found absolutely nothing <laughs> in, in my oh. study. Um, which happens sometimes, but right. the idea behind that was then to establish uh, an algorithm for subtly altering the reinforcement and contingencies uh, in mm. a gamification kind of way uh, to help move people away from hoarding tendencies. Within. So just in case people don't know, gamification is the use of games yeah. um, to reach, um, what, what does it reach? It reaches something, it reaches the parts that other games cannot reach. Cannot reach, yeah. So, for example, Minecraft has been used recently with kids um, to work on flood defences in a small village. You know, they've they, they've kind of gone, right, we're going to have floods again, so what what do we do? Oh, we'll put, like, you know, flood defences there and and there and, you know. So it, it, it kind of gives an option to do that. Um, they, do this, I they do this for kids on the spectrum. They have social rewards within the mm. A VR environment for interpersonal engagement. And yeah, I think that gamification is sort of a, a way of tapping into inherent desire to play games and to win and competitiveness. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, again, I think, you know, I would be open to the idea of clearly because I tried to go down that track at one point. Mm-hmm. I think you do run into obstacles with the idea that people with hoarding tend to be older and not as tech savvy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. How did you do it with Age of Empires? I doubt that's. Com- that's throwing me down. That, that was an undergrad sample, so it's very right. possible we found nothing because of that. <laughs> oh, that was that was cheated, then, wasn't it? But it's interesting that you said competitiveness because we. So what? What one of the most successful, I would say, things that I've done since January this year is set up a support group WhatsApp group, mm-hmm. which is absolutely amazing. And one of the many things they do there is they they dare each other to let go of things it's just 
It's absolutely genius. And then we have the support group and they talk about it. So last night it was, there was a discussion about, oh, well, if you remember Dave, I t- not other Dave, not you, Dave, one of the other bearded Daves. Um, mm. I, I, I challenge you to get rid of that yellow bag that I saw in your room because they also post pictures of their, this is my view this morning, you know, things like that. It's just fantastic. I think if I could set up a whole series of WhatsApp groups for, and these are, you need less tech savviness. You just need a smartphone for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so I'm not joking. It has just been brilliant because yeah. they, and so I've sent new people in and, and exactly the same as in a physical support group. They, mm-hmm. that, you know, the, 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 the long termers get mm-hmm. around the newcomers. And so, yes, the idea of challenging each other because that's allowed. They're in their own group. So it's okay. It's not- I've been in this WhatsApp group now for 40 years. When I started, I used to have teeth. But my Even they've gone. <laughs> yeah. I, I stumbled across, I'm, I'm, I might not be able to, I don't think I can find it right now, but there was, I stumbled across a, a research paper that somebody had done where they had done exactly that and had found positive outcomes in a, and published this paper from having peer support on online through a group chat and I think I think it was alongside um other therapy I think it might have been cognitive behavioral therapy and had found that actually so that's reassuring I keep on finding studies that I'm like oh Heather already does this um (laughs) which must be yeah reassure is is reassuring to know that you're already doing things that other people but you need you need research projects to prove these things mm. it's mm. otherwise it's just anecdotal evidence you know it's uh, I can talk till I go blue in the face you need research to back up what you're doing so that people are reassured that it works and it isn't just a fluke so mm. um yeah this is why well, that tends it. to be the people that are, are funders doesn't it that need that kind of thing really that are gonna well, not, I, but, but also I think just the world in general likes to be reassured by somebody something academic or something quantitative and qualitative you know yeah i would would say 50 to 60 percent of people are interested in evidence the other 40 percent maybe not so much (laughs) there's enough of them there's enough of them i i i i'm a as if i hear something i think i'll 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 be optimistic about it and go you don't have to prove it to me i'd like i you know i i i'm interested in it my partner is the opposite he's like no Mm. show me show me that it works Show me that it's logic and, you know, so uh, there's always that battle. This was like you with, with the youth work, you know, you'd go, well, uh, one of the criteria we, that we use, they have fun. They smile. Can't measure fun. Can't measure the fun, can't measure smiles, can you? No. Well, you can actually, no. you can use that smiley face grades, you know, oh. and you can you can get those. Really? But anyway, we need to finish because... yeah. Greg for far too long but yeah. um I'm gonna I, I'm gonna um finish up now have we got any last minute wishes let's say perhaps for the future of what um both both you Greg and Sam can can have some sort of wishes for what we hope for the future maybe well for for me this project uh led to me wanting to do further research, uh, but it requires money. Um, mm. And COVID uh, was a um, unwelcome obstacle. Um, and so 
the uh, next step for me was to do uh, a couple of ideas and Sam, feel free to steal some of these. Cause I, or maybe we can collaborate because that'd be fun. Um, He's going to great. anyway. He's going to, you can tell, look at him, look at his sticky little fingers. Oh. Well, if he's not doing the next Lord of the Rings. Um, oh, that's then, true. um He's uh so I was thinking, okay, first of all, I want to show that this actually is uh, resulting in change of behavior, not just self-report mm. of motivation. Yep. So I'd like to have them do a discarding task or some other uh, more personal, meaningful uh, demonstration of, of behavior of change. Um, that would be sort of uh, as an analog to treatment motivation. And so that would be one step. Uh, and I think an easy sort of obvious next step. The next, and also to tweak uh, the dosage. I don't know what you did for dosage, Sam, but um, you know we, we were five minutes or 10 minutes once and that was it. I'd like to see what happens if we do repeated dosing and how close to a discarding task and you know, some of those things. But my, actually I put in a research grant that NIH did not like. Um, NIH is the U.S. is National Institute of Health mm-hmm. who funds anything that's related to health, including mental health. And they are not particularly uh, keen on funding a lot of hoarding work. I'm not sure why. Um, but basically, um, the uh, idea was to combine it with group-based cognitive behavior therapy and to give everyone uh, immersion right before a session to see how much they engage, measure homework completion, measure attendance, measure X, Y, Z, and to actually see if there are actual benefits uh, from a behavioral standpoint, you know, put the money where your mouth is. Is it, mm-hmm. I, can, I can self-report that I'm motivated all day, uh, but are we just uh, sending people people into la la land into fantasy land, but actually they're not changing their behavior. So are you are you looking at treating it like you would with some weightlifting, which is smaller weights, smaller doses, but more frequently? So yeah. you build that discarding muscle up a little bit. Is that? I mean, to me, the discarding muscle is different than the motivation muscle. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the discarding muscle needs to be focused on as well. But for me, the motivation muscle is is extremely important because then there's no point to a discarding muscle if you're never going to get there, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it can be very is, big and bulgy, but it's never going to yeah. get there. <laughs> right. And so the, I would like to to know what actually is the minimum level of of VR that would be needed to mm. enhance motivation to a certain degree. Like maybe all you need is a quick little uh, immersion for 30 seconds. You come out of it and you're discarding stuff like a madman, right? Like you're excited about it and you're just tossing things out. Um, that, that might be a son of psychosis, to be fair. <laughs> not, I, I mean, in other words, like what, what if you're actually excited, enthusiastic, and it helps you get over that hump, mm. that fear? Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe it takes a five-minute immersion. I mean, I think is... I prefer tortoise rather than hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Do, do I yeah. sense a bit of fear here, Dave? Just in case oh, it works yeah. for you. No, well, you know, I'm always afraid. Uh, yeah. I'm just wondering though, with the hoarding um, world, does, does does Greg actually stand for the Obi Wan Kenobi of uh, Sam's Luke Skywalker? Is this how it's working? Is... Definitely, yes. <laughs> I'm not following the reference. I, I understand the reference of Star Wars. I don't know what you're. You asking. would be Obi Wan Kenobi, and Sam uh-huh. would be. Luke so Star you're Wars. the you're the guru, and Sam yeah. is more, is your. Oh, I is see. Your, so you'd be going around going. This is, this is not the horde that you are looking for. This is not the horde <laughs> you're looking for. All right. Yeah. Yes. Um. I sure. If I, I 
uh, whatever. I, I would, I mean, if Sam, if Sam wants to be my acolyte, I'd rather just think of him as somebody who's equally nerdy about this question. And, uh, <laughs> well, that, I think I'm, I think that's there, isn't it, Sam? I think all it of us is. like that. Yeah. Um, Sam, what are your wishes then? My wishes are, I mean, as well as kind of those areas of research, I think, as as you mentioned, company uh, organizations or funding people being unwilling to release money to study this thing is very frustrating. And so I would, my, my, if I, if I had a magic wand um, and could fix some things, then it would be, yeah, around people's recognition and understanding of hoarding. And in terms of future research, yeah, more research into new interventions, because sometimes I see, for example, I've been looking at the literature even today, looking at, for example, one person tried compassion focused therapy. I was like, oh, this could be, there could be a big mm-hmm. body of literature here. And it was just one study. I was like, oh, that's it. And so, yeah, my, that would be the dream more research into understanding interventions and why they do or do not work oh my god is that what I, the ingredient i've been forgetting in all my treatment compassion <laughs> <laughs> i knew there was something i was missing i was thinking uh, my therapy was uh called there's now wrong with you and <laughs> so, socks up and check so, it all so people come in and they go oh, i've been having problems with this there's now wrong with you get out <laughs> that's that's the opposite of the compassion focus but i do have a challenge for you uh, before we we finish i when i'm wearing another hat i do a thing called the story shed and i read stories for kids um and i would like as a challenge for people who are listening to this and yourself greg and heather and sam to have a go at writing a children's story yeah. which is about hoarding yeah in, in any way at all, you know, that you, you feel fit. And then maybe I could read it in my shed. Yeah, uh, I, think so. I actually have talked to a colleague about doing this. And the problem is, it's just, it's of doing research and, and writing grants and teaching classes. Writing a children's book is like the scariest of all it's of It's not. 10 minutes a day, Greg. That's all I'm asking for. 10 minutes a day. I'll even give you prompts if you need them. Yeah. Packy the pack rat and his friends. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was thinking more about dragons, to be honest. Okay. Dragons have hordes. (laughs) So, you know, uh, going to see a dragon to stop them from hoarding. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I think that's a great challenge. I'm going to rise to it and try my best. Um, How long have we got, Dave? Uh, you've got a month. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm hearing nothing from Sam. I'm hearing um, nothing from Sam. <laughs> we we need to finish the podcast, guys. Right, I'm yeah, sorry. sorry. Um, I'm just going to close it down. It's just been great. I could have talked for about at least another hour, but I'm just going to stop recording now. So thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.